0: Hello, everybody. This is Parrish Alford with The Daily Journal. This is another edition of the Justify Your Existence podcast, talking all things Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I'm joined by Ole Miss beat writer Michael Katz and Mississippi State beat writer Stefan Kreishnik. Uh It was a busy weekend for both you guys, man. How's everybody doing? I, I guess right.
1: I, the, the only saving grace on my end is that there was no time change for me have to deal with i am notoriously bad at dealing with time zones so luckily waco uh beautiful waco texas was was on the same time zone so so that was a little bit easier uh was not expecting for my for my trip to be as short as it was i don't think a lot of old miss people thought it was going to be that short but uh you know that's 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 march madness right
0: well i you know i noticed while on the elliptical this morning that it was a short trip for baylor also man uh so south dakota storming in and uh taking care of things in waco Steph, you got a coaching search, man, and it was like, it was done like that. You know, it was just, that's the best kind of coaching search you can have when they're they're just like overnight. And it it doesn't always work out that the names that are leaked and the names that you see in social media uh, end up getting the job, but it looked like they had maybe had covered some ground Mississippi State had with Chris Jans, do you think?
2: Yeah, no, uh, it's definitely been a, a busy couple of weeks. Uh, I know Michael was talking about being in the same time zone. When I was covering the combine and, and working in Tampa at the SEC tournament, I was on Eastern time, so I always gave myself a little extra hour of sleep while you guys were still an hour behind. You know, I didn't have to I didn't have to turn anything in at seven a.m. Central, so I had some had some time to sleep there. But uh, no, it's um, you know, it's it's a quick hire in the sense of. Um, You know, how soon after Ben Holland was fired, uh, it was announced and also how soon it was announced after, you know, Chris Chan's season ended with New Mexico State. I think it was maybe like 12 hours after, you know, New Mexico State had lost to Arkansas in the the round of 32 that uh, Mississippi State had made it uh, official. But, you know, what's interesting, though, is, you know, in that light, it's real quick. But, you know, the way John Cohen works and and has worked on the men's side and, and, you know, the women's side with the hire of Sam Purcell is, um, you know, he asks around and, and I don't think, um, you know, Chris Jance was a new name that came up. I think that's a name that's been in the mix for, you know, a couple of weeks now. And I think the firing of Holland has kind of been uh, evident for probably more than a couple of weeks now, um, you know, with the struggles that state had throughout February and their chances of making the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, it's clear that John Cohen did his research and, and started asking around, um, asking experts of college basketball, you know, their thoughts before, um, you know, anything was even made official um so so in that sense it, it's not that you know quick of a move um but it is rare you know even to that extent I mean I don't think what John Cohen does is anything different for most athletic directors you know they're always talking and you know I'm sure athletic directors even if they aren't you know looking for a new coach probably ask around you know hey I know this guy doing pretty well at this mid-major you know is that a name that you know we could keep in mind a couple of years down the road and, and things of that kind of staying ahead of the curve so I don't think John Cohen is doing anything weird in that sense Um, but even, even then there's, there's not a lot of schools that will announce these things so quickly. Um, so, so it is impressive in that sense that, that, you know, how quick Mississippi state was able to move and and get things signed and get things underway. Um, and, and, and I think the transfer portal adds to that. I think John Cohen sees and probably saw it, especially at the women's side with, you know, the instability that the program has had for, you know, the better part of two years now, um, you, you don't want players to, to start leaving. You don't want, you know, Hey, Ben Holland's fired this day, and, and you don't want the entire roster in the transfer portal the next day. You want you want some kind of stability there, and and have players, you know, have a coach to talk to you right away, and, and know what they're working toward. And along with you know sustaining the players that you have, um, you know, being able to go out in the portal and and start getting guys, you know, as soon as teams start getting eliminated here, you know, in March Madness, and maybe some of those mid majors that thought they'd make a run in their conference tournaments and didn't, um, you have a lot of teams who are or a lot of players, I, sh- I should say, who are you know, starting to enter, enter the transfer portal themselves in, and you want to bring them in and you got to have a coach to, to sell that. So there, there's a lot of reasons that, that, you know, John Cohen wanted to move quick and, and a lot of reasons that, you know, in some some degree he had to move quick. And I think, um, you know, the hires always pan themselves out. Usually they look good on paper when they're made. And then, you know, a few years down the road, if it doesn't work out, people are wondering, "Wow, why did you make that hire? Everyone knew that was going to stink. And, and everyone, you know, hindsight's always 20 um, But But to some degree that they had to be quick. Uh, on paper, they look good, and, and Mississippi State right away can kind of get into that uh, the transfer portal and start talking to recruits and start you know pitching Mississippi State
0: immediately. Well, I tell you what, it does look like a very good hire on paper. What are you hearing on uh, his bar incident at Bowling Green? Uh, is you know, and I know that'll come up at the introduction press conference yeah. on Wednesday. Uh, Social media, Twitter conversation, Mississippi State fans. So how do they line up with that? How do you think? Yeah, well, let's
2: start with the Mississippi State fans and and kind of what I've seen. You know, there's been a good amount of fans that have brought it up and and wondered, you know, what did John Cohen see um, or hear that made him think that, you know, that was something that was of the past and and is, you know, not something that hinders a reason to hire Chris Jans. Um, and then some fans are, are, you know, looking at it and saying, hey, that was seven years ago. And uh, I think it was seven years ago, something like that. Um, you know, we can move past it. You know, I saw one fan on the message board be like, you know, this shouldn't even be brought up at the introductory press conference. And I was like, well, it will be brought up at the introductory press conference. Um, I know by at least one reporter, maybe others. But, um, you know, what's? I, I went back and I watched his um introductory press conference at New Mexico State, because obviously that was his first head coaching job since the incident. He, he had spent a lot of years as an assistant and as a head coach at junior colleges, um, had a pretty long stint as Wichita State assistant. And if, if anyone remembers those Wichita State teams, I mean, up until recently, that that was you know one of the better basketball programs for a good stretch. And, you know, they had the year where they went undefeated in the regular season, I think lost in like the second round of March Madness. And they had a final four run. So, Greg Marshall had a really good program there and Chris was one of his main assistants. Chris leaves uh, for the Bowling Green job. He's there for a year and then the incident happens. They let him go. And a few years later he returns to uh, Wichita State as an assistant again. Um, and then, so when he's hired at New Mexico State, it was obviously brought up a lot. And he said that, you know, he, A, and he got emotional when talking about Greg Marshall and the shot, you know, Greg Marshall took at, at bringing him back to Wichita and giving him kind of a second chance at coaching uh, and then got emotional. Obviously talking about New Mexico state, giving him a second shot at coaching. And, and when he was asked about it, he kind of embraced it. He said, you know, I screwed up. It's not something I should have done, you know, more so than, you know, the limelight that it put on, on Bowling green and, and the fact that he got fired and, and obviously wasn't, you know, hurt him financially. Um, he was clearly embarrassed by what happened. And, and if anyone, you know, goes back and watches the video for any major head basketball coach, that's a really embarrassing thing to, to a do and to be have, you know, shown in the public light. And he kind of embraced how, how embarrassing that was and, and how much of a low point he felt that was in his life. And, and, you know, talked about the ways that he's tried, um, you know, to better himself and better, you know, his family and better, you know, the players that he coaches and, and the schools that he coaches at since then. And that's going to be something that, that I, I'm kind of curious is, Hey, okay. So you spent those five years in New Mexico state and you talked about, you don't want him to better all these things because of, of how embarrassed you were about what happened and how you wanted to change things. OK, well, how did you do that? What, how do you feel like you've changed and, and helped other people change um, since that incident? And uh, that'll be something that's brought up. But, you know, from from everything I've heard and everything I've read about Jans, um, you know, he's really embraced the second chance, second chances, I, sh- I should say, that he's been given and kind of tried to prove that that, you know, these people that took a risk on him, you know, aren't, aren't taking that much of a risk. So that that's something that he'll try to prove here. Obviously, um, you know, it's one thing to prove it at New Mexico state is another thing to do it at an SEC program, right? Like now he's back in the fire, power five and he's going to be going against elite programs and, and he's probably going to go into schools where, you know, fans will say things and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, how, how is he going to, you know, embrace that and handle that and move past it um, now at a higher level. So that's, it, it, it's, it's something that's far in the past and, and everyone will say he's changed a lot since then, but you know, you can't control when other people bring it up, right. Whether it be reporters or fans or whatever. So um, he, he'll be asked about it. And, and, you know, I would expect he would kind of answer those questions in the same way that he did at New Mexico state.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I am in favor of second chances. I'm not in favor of third, fourth and fifth chances. Right. <laughs> there's been some distance between the incident and, and uh, you know, and as far as I can tell, there's, there's been no other reported incident uh, involving Chris Jans. Michael, I, I know that uh, the Mountain West and the WAC are not the same thing, but uh, you, did you cross paths out that way out in the West? Any of your teams ever uh, face New Mexico State? Do you have any interaction with Chris Jans? Uh, I
1: did not personally, but the, the joke was always because uh, New Mexico, obviously in the Mountain West, and they play New Mexico State every year. New Mexico used to be like really, really good and haven't been as good lately. New Mexico State's kind of been kicking their butt. But the joke was that every time they showed their logos on ESPN, they would get New Mexico State's logo wrong. They would put the logo up on accident. Um, so that was always the joke is that they couldn't get the logos right. So I'm sure Chris Jans is happy that hopefully they will get his logo uh, correct in Mississippi State this time. But well,
0: I will tell you, uh, Chris Jans should not expect that. Should not ex- I mean, we have a ton of fans on both sides of this uh, Mississippi State Old Miss rivalry who can give you examples of uh, logos uh, being uh, improperly placed and <laughs> uh, the national media uh, messing up. Uh, uh, Ole Miss or Mississippi State at one time or other uh you know I, I can remember uh, the final four when Mississippi State uh went to the final four back in 96 and and uh the, the caps that they all put on right after the you know the final horn sounds final four caps so I had an old Miss logo it was just I mean you get you get you get stuff like that so it's funny that uh, you bring that up because I think there are plenty of uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State stories that say uh Chris Jan should not relax on that. Well, don't feel right at home then. Yeah, maybe, maybe you'll feel right at home. Hey, let's talk. Uh, spring football begins at both of our schools uh this week. Uh Pro Day, I know, is uh tomorrow at state, Wednesday at Ole Miss. Michael, Ole Miss begins practice uh tomorrow. What, what are the the big storylines here? Obviously, uh Jackson's art, uh, the quarterback transfer from USC coming in. Is, is there going to be a a legitimate bona fide quarterback competition, or is this going to be window dressing and Jackson darts going to be the start?
1: I mean, it's there. I mean, there we go, we are going to be sold that it is a quarterback competition. Right. And that's just how this always goes. It's been sold since Jackson uh, officially signed uh, a few months ago, but, uh, you know, I, I would personally be hard pressed to to see that this wasn't Dart's job to lose. I don't think a guy like Jackson Dart transfers in unless he feels pretty good that he is going to be the guy. And again, that's nothing against Luke Altmaier, who, by all accounts, is you know, it's not like I think he'd be working hard this off season, but I, I imagine this has probably been a really big off season for him, and um, I imagine he's going to put his best foot forward. But it, it, it is hard for me to to see. Jackson dart not unless something absolutely insane happens which is absolutely possible uh for, for for him not to to be the guy and I do think that they will this will get dragged out um I don't think anything is going to be determined in the spring it usually isn't anyway uh but two, you know with the portal being kind of the way that it is I don't think you want guys uh entering like too soon I think there's a timing element to all of this too uh, but I I I personally would be pretty surprised if 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 this wasn't Jackson Dart's uh, gig, uh, you know, come fall. But you know, we'll see. Uh, I, again, Luke Altmaier, he was a four-star kid too. It's not like he's he he doesn't have the talent. Uh, but uh, I, I I I I I would be surprised if, if Jackson Dart was not uh, throwing darts come September.
0: I tell you, in Altmaier in the Sugar Bowl, I saw this guy that I thought moved with confidence didn't move as quickly as Matt Corral, but that just there was a certain level of elusiveness. You know, it's just kind of, you know, you can gain some elusiveness by knowing where to be and and having some awareness and things like that. I thought he showed some of that uh, in his uh, Sugar Bowl performance there, which was most of the game. Uh, Do you think a situation develops here with these quarterbacks at Ole Miss that I don't expect – Lane Kiffin to name a starter at the end of spring. I don't think he's going to name a starter, but do they get enough done in this quarterback competition that all of a sudden there's a quarterback deficit going into August because guys can read the writing on the wall and, and somebody transfers? Do you, you think Ole Miss ends up with a numbers issue at quarterback? I
1: I mean I'd be surprised if if the room is currently constructed looks the same in you know over the summer just because if guys see the writing on the wall they're going to want to go where their opportunities are but at the same time the portal works both ways and you know with there's going to be other guys who you know it's like when they got Tyrell Rome in like September last year kind of out of nowhere like there are going to be guys who you can kind of pull into into the mix who uh you know want want to go to different programs and maybe know they're not going to be a guy or the guy at a place but you know still still want to be able to contribute in some capacity so I I I don't think the room is going to look the same but I I think with the portal the way it is as much as we talk about you know what teams lose I do think that that there is is it's in the grand scheme of things they're going to end up with the correct numbers I just think it's going to be a different looking room
0: yeah, those those late summer quarterback transfers are always inspiring, aren't they? You get everybody. Yeah,
1: all of a sudden there was just number four out there, and we were like, who is that? And yeah. it was like, oh, it's Tyrell Pigro." Okay.
0: Jeff, uh, you don't have a quarterback competition, man. Uh, what are the most uh, intriguing stories uh, this spring for football at Mississippi State, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think the number one thing is, um, you know, the offensive line. You're obviously losing a top ten overall draft pick in, in Charles Cross, and, you know, not only is he a good offensive lineman, he's, um, you know, your left tackle who protected Will Rogers' blindside the entire season and did it probably better than um, any left tackle in the nation. So the, the number one thing is how is that offensive line, um, you know, going to shake up for for Mississippi State and, and who's going to step in at those tackle spots? I know, you know, Scott Lashley didn't do a great job at right tackle last year, but at the same time, he was your starting right tackle the entire season. And now he's gone and, you know, he was probably better than your backup option. So, so who's going to step in? Um, uh, who's going to step in there? And so you look at the tackle spots on the offensive line, that's the number one thing. Number two is, um, you know, outside wide receiver. Um, you know, you lose Mekhi Polk, who's, who's going to be going to the NFL, and, um, you know, Malik Heath, who's obviously at Ole Miss now, everyone knows that storyline. And, you know, those are your two better, um, you know, outside receivers or at least, you know, bigger threats at, at the outside receiver who kind of steps in, um, there and, and I know you know Ra Ra Thomas obviously had a phenomenal season. He was the reason Malik Key started losing snaps um, toward the end of that regular season. Um, you know he's the guy you kind of expect to, to be that number one moving forward. Who's going to be you know the one that steps up alongside and how do you kind of make up you know those those snaps and and those receptions? I mean Makai Polk broke about every single season receiving record that there was um, in terms of receptions for Mississippi State. So that's that's what you're looking at on the offensive and on, on defense and you know, this kind of probably ties into to the pro day that they're going to have um, Tuesday morning. And, um, you know, we're talking about guys, you know, like Michael Charles Cross. And then, you know, how do you make up for losing Martin Emerson? You know, Emmanuel Forbes will be the number one guy um, at corner. Uh, what happens with the rest of that secondary? And, Paris, you were plenty of games last year where you saw the, the safety position kind of have um, breakdowns, no matter how good, you know, Emerson and Forbes were. You had breakdowns in, at, at safety that, that led the big plays, explosive plays that they allowed. Um, and on top of that is, is who steps up as the number two, number two corner, um, you know, Marcus Bangs coming in from Alabama, he was kind of a role guy there. And, um, you know, is he able to step up and be an SEC starter at Mississippi State? Um, you know, the, the, you know, I'm slipping on his name here and I got the corner that they brought. There's there's just so many names coming in and out. The Carlos Nicholson, obviously, um, you know, the the Juco transfer at corner. I mean, you know, will he be the number two guy? Um, so So there's a lot of. You know, moving parts, and Jackie Matthews, who they brought in from West Virginia, he's already kind of being listed as a safety, um, even though coming in kind of as a corner. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, and, and that's what happened with Jalen Green. They brought him in as a corner from Texas. He ended up being a safety for them. So, a lot of moving pieces, kind of in that secondary, to see how that all shakes up. Um, and I'm sure if you're you're Zach Garnett, and and if you're my, well, if you're Mike Leach, you're happy that you know you could have retained you know Zach Arnett to kind of be that guy to. to be the constant and all these moving pieces, and on top of that, if you're Zach Arnett, you're probably happy that um, you know you can lose a guy like Aaron Brule and still have a lot of experience coming back at linebacker. And now you bring back Jordan Davis, and you got a lot, lot of experience coming back on a defensive line. You're they're probably pretty happy that they've got some constant and, and some stability at those two positions. You know, in the front seven or front six um, before you know addressing what's all going to happen in the secondary, because that that's definitely an area of was an area of concern last year is already in the spring here moving forward.
0: You mentioned Marcus Banks uh, as a role player at Alabama. I I think uh, there's recent uh, uh, evidence here that just because a guy was at Alabama uh, doesn't (laughs) necessarily mean uh, he comes in and has great success right away. Receivers, some transition there on the outside, as you mentioned, Steph. uh, I just think they're going to find those guys. I, I just think in this offense, uh, you're going to find guys who can run and catch. I, I think it's easier to do that than to find an elite quarterback. And I think uh, uh, Will Rogers, while I'd like to see him be more mobile, is certainly uh, you know uh, did an outstanding job with accuracy and making his reads uh, in the offense. So be interesting to see uh, you know how the, these
2: quarter, guys... the quarterback position. It's it's definitely something worth um, at least worth talking about and looking at this spring, just because Will Will's going to be the starter. Um, but, but, you know, you got to kind of start looking at what'll be next after Will. Um, you know, and I know Will, you know, it's not his last year either. I mean, will might have a couple more years left if if he continues to be the starter, but you know, people will want to see some progress out of Sawyer Robertson, because they think that he's got a higher ceiling, um, than Will does. And obviously Braden Locke, the signing that they brought in from Texas, he's kind of that gunslinger guy that, you know, Mike Leach would love to have in his offense. It's going to be interesting to see how those guys start to progress, um, you know, this spring, next spring in the fall um as you kind of start to prepare of hey you know will rogers is great but you know maybe we've got some guys who have a lot more talent um physically that are kind of in the waiting and, and what does that look like moving forward so with the transfer portal i mean anything's possible some of those guys could leave maybe will leaves in a couple of years like there, there's a lot um you know in that quarter a lot of talent in that quarterback room to kind of make it um interesting in the coming years maybe not this spring but definitely you know in the fall and coming spring for sure
0: Interesting. Maybe maybe a role develops uh, for one of those, guys. you know, a a few series here, a few series there. Uh, Let's shift gears, talk baseball a little bit. Uh, Michael, uh, tell me why Ole Miss uh, after a two and two week is still the number one team in the country.
1: Uh, because college baseball uh is it, it's funny because uh you know Texas does Texas things and Notre Dame uh they had I think they got swept over the weekend too they were number one in some other polls and I, I was a little bit surprised that they were still number one but I just think it's kind of that part of the season where teams are they're going to be dropping games uh, but uh, I, I think Ole Miss winning that that series at Auburn was was pretty big obviously they they, they lost the one game but. Uh, the wins were pretty solid. And, uh, you know, Auburn's a, pr- a pretty solid team this year. And so uh, to win it on the road in the first SEC series, I, I think said enough to not, you know, penalize them too much. I, I, I'm excited for this weekend, though, with Tennessee coming to town because if there's one offense that, like, might be better than Ole Misses right now, it's Tennessee's. And they are scoring a bunch of runs. So I, that's going to be exciting. So if they're still number one, uh, after this week, and they'll they'll certainly have earned it. I, I can safely say that.
0: I tell you what, it, you know, the idea of that Tennessee offense uh, against uh, the Ole Miss starting pitching, man. I mean, it's. I, I know there's a a, a time proven plan in, in baseball that uh, if you your starters can hold it close, uh, if you if you think your bullpen is your strength, you start bringing those guys in and. And uh, stabilize the game and, and win it with your own offense. Man, certainly, that's a plan. But you know, you've got to uh, you got to hold good bats in check a little bit. Man, I I just don't know that uh, that it's there with uh, the Ole Miss starting pitching right now. I think John Gaddis has done some good things, but I kind of think that that uh, we've seen him top out. I mean, I think he's going to be consistent. I think he's going to get that curveball over for strikes a lot of the time. And uh, he's going to uh, get some outs that way. But I just don't, uh, don't see lockdown starters there. And it was a very interesting weekend. In the games that Ole Miss won, they won with offense, as you would expect. And they totaled 33 hits in those two games. But that game they lost 19 to 5, they had five runs on six hits. They're going to have to win some games with five runs on six hits, you know? I just uh, I don't know if they can come out of this uh, if they can win this Tennessee series with uh, the state of their starting pitching right now that would be a a, a huge uh, a huge series win uh, for the Rebels uh, what do you think about uh, this team offensively right now they're uh, what a couple of weeks now uh, without Kevin Graham uh, I believe he was expected back maybe sometime in April is that right. Yeah, I think the
1: original timeline was like four weeks or so, and it's been, I think, three, two or three. Um, but wrist injuries can linger. So, I, I, you know, that's always a tentative thing. I think it's going to – we haven't gotten an update on him, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see where that is in the next couple weeks. But, you know, uh, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, he is such a big part of what they do, and he is kind of the unheralded guy in that lineup, though he's – you know, probably the most consistent, uh, you know, Alco, we all love how, you know, everyone loves how, how far you can hit a baseball, but there are times when he's not making contact. And so, uh, you know, Gonzalez went through some rough stretches. It seems like he's gotten it, you know, he's kind of found his his swing a little bit lately. Um, Chattanooga, you know, he's, he's, he's having a really nice start, but, uh, you know, Graham's kind of the glue guy in that lineup. And yeah, they've, they, they've obviously made it work for the most part, but, uh, you know, getting him back would would be pretty big. I just it, it's it's still hard to say that there's any holes in the lineup because I don't on a given day, I think one through nine can can get a lot done. But it's just not as consistent. And I don't know if you're seeing them, uh, you know, chained together, you know, consistent. You know, at bats and swings as well as they did when 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 Graham is in there, and uh, you know, it it hasn't has has it hurt them a little bit so far, yeah. But they're still you know the number one team in the country. It's hard to say it's really killed them, but I think as you start to get into these really big series, you know, Tennessee, uh, I think you might see the loss of a guy like that. Kind of, I think you might start to notice a little bit more when they can't get guys on base.
0: Yeah, you know, I look at this uh, this offense uh, right now, and uh... You know, they're they're not hitting for average as well as they need to. A lot lot of power. Uh, And and I had this belief that Ole Miss would always – would have enough bats that somebody would usually pick them up. But uh, not – you know, didn't see that in game two at UCF. Didn't see that at Southeastern Louisiana down there, uh, uh, home of Hi-Ho Barbecue there in in Hammond, man, if y'all are ever that way. That's – that's that's a must stop little uh, gas station sandwiches there, uh, but you you know there are some games obviously when when that hasn't been the case they haven't found that bat or bats to pick them up so big series uh, coming up against Tennessee and you know look uh, don't sleep on the Memphis games this week because uh, Ole Miss has had a uh, uh, you know has shown an ability to uh, lose to uh, the neighborhood rivals there. Uh, in the past. So uh, Memphis, uh, two games uh, for them this week. Steph, uh, Mississippi State, uh, what, what did you see in the Bulldogs this week? Man, I mean, they looked like they were on the verge of getting swept and then they put up 20 runs uh, in game three. Did that speak more to State's offense or is that a question about pitching depth for Georgia?
2: Yeah, um, you know, normally I would say it was probably more about the pitchers that Georgia was throwing out there and kind of the, the you know, long leash that, that they were getting. But, you know, State put up 11 runs or 10 runs um, on Saturday in that loss after getting shut out in game one. And, you know, getting shut out by, you know, a Friday starter like Jonathan uh, Cannon is not you know necessarily the most embarrassing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what was going wrong for State, you know, Friday and Saturday was – um, the pitching and the pitching getting a little help from from the defense. I mean, state was hurting itself. the pitching, um you know, I, I think it was game one had twelve walks or, or they were I mean, there was just so many walks. that was throwing the ball well, and you look at a stallion, he had eight walks. like it was just you know not the not the typical start you'd expect from a guy like him. and uh, Preston Johnson pitched well in game one, and, but you know, gave up a couple home runs, kind of hurt himself there. and um Cameron James had a a bad series at third base defensively, and Brett Kubis dropped the you know, two out bases loaded fly ball to the left that, you know, it wasn't credited as an error because he didn't, you know, it didn't hit his mitt, but that's how bad of a play it was, is that it didn't even hit his mitt. Um, you know, you, just a lot of plays like that where, you know, defensively, you're just scratching your head at, at what Mississippi state is doing um, those first two games. And, and that's a team that in Omaha, you know, didn't commit a single error. And that's kind of what, what, you know, they were, uh, you know, highly touted for so much in and, and that run in Omaha is how, how good their defense got. And that hasn't been the case. Um, early going, and especially wasn't in this first SEC weekend. Um, but at the same time, you know Tanner Allen had, had tweeted this, um, you know, after the game had ended, that if you avoid a sweep on the road in the SEC and you win your home series, you're in a pretty good spot in terms of the conference standings and, and where you're going to wind up. Now, is State a team that just wants to you know lose two out of three every time they're on the road and win two out of three at home? No, they have higher expectations than that. Um, and, and it's, you know, probably hard for them to accept the fact that they didn't win two out of three at Georgia after, you know, how much they hurt themselves there in, in game two, losing 11 to 10. And so so um, the offense appears to be good, and and the offense may be a little streaky. You know, they'll, they'll score 10 runs in a game and, and, you know, one run the next day, um, which maybe they'd, they'd like to find a little bit more of a middle ground there and start scoring a little bit, you know, get those five, six runs a little more consistently um, rather than being on, on the polar opposite sides of that. But you know, it, it, it's so much of that is going to be pitching, and, and you lose your top bullpen guy and Stone Simmons, and um, and everyone knows, you know, what Len Sims brings to the table. I mean, he was arguably the best, you know, even from the move, the starting pitcher was the best pitcher in, in college baseball. If you lose a guy like that, it's it's not going to be easy, right? So they're going to need to find some some bullpen arms that are going to step up and, and be better than they have been, um, and and we'll see what happens with the weekend rotation. I mean, listen, Preston Johnson is a really good pitcher, but there's a reason he was probably better suited as a Saturday or Sunday guy because, you know, he'll, he'll go out there and give you a quality start, but is a quality start, you know, six innings and three runs allowed good enough as a Friday guy, when you're going to, when you're going to be going up against the Friday guys that the SEC has, I mean, guys who are you know capable of going seven innings and around allowing no runs, that's where you'd rather have a Landon Sims. You can kind of go punch for punch with, with the Friday guy. And you don't have that right now with, with a guy like Preston Johnson. Um, you're kind of, you know your rotation is built up of Saturday and Sunday guys right now. So, how do you kind of make up for that, and and how do you work those arms in the midweek, and and try to keep everyone healthy and, and have some longevity to the season to to the to the good arms that you do have. Um, that, that's where Crystal Monus and his staff are going to be tested uh, moving forward. And you know injuries always create you know depth or concerns when it comes to depth, and that's where Mississippi State's pitching staff is right now. And if, if they're not going to get help any help from their defense either. Um, Could be a long, long spring here. But I I think there's there's a lot of reason to still say, you know, it's early and a lot of reason to not start, you know, getting you know start overreacting about um, this Mississippi State baseball team because of what this offense can bring and and maybe carry the team a bit. But there are things that that continuously keep coming up that, you know, we thought, hey, you know, Mississippi State's doing this in, in a February, early February series. Well, it's still early. Well, they're still doing a lot of those same things. Um, you know, when it comes to pitching and defense. So, and now you lose a guy like Landon Sims. So there's there's a lot of ground to be made up. Um, and and you know, facing Southern University and facing Alabama this week, um, all at home, is a great chance to kind of build off that momentum from that last game in the Georgia series, and and maybe you know, get yourself back, um, going the right way.
0: Yeah, uh, Alabama at home is a little bit different than Georgia on the road. What what's right. your confidence level uh, for the Bulldogs this week that they? One, I mean, you know, you don't don't overlook a swag team because they only beat Grambling two to one, right? Uh, but uh, you, you got Southern uh, on Tuesday, and uh, and then Alabama. What do you think? Uh, State wins an SEC series this weekend.
2: Yeah, I think I think they do, and and you know, to be honest, the, the expectation this week should be win at least three out of four, and I I think there's grounds to believe that Mississippi State could sweep. Um, you know, Alabama this weekend, I, I think they're still better than, than a team like Alabama. And, um, you know, I'll be curious to see if any of, um, you know, what Alabama's coach said in, in the fall is going to carry over. If you guys remember that, you know, talking about, um, you know, why players would, would want to go to Starkville aside to play baseball and, and kind of how that helps with, with recruiting and, and things of that nature and a disadvantage that he feels like Alabama's at. Um, Which is—it's great to hear an Alabama coach talk about having a disadvantage when it comes to recruiting, but um, poor
1: Alabama, poor Alabama.
2: You really, you really feel bad, and, and, you know, you hope a team like Alabama can, can catch a break in, in their athletic department with, with the struggles that they've had, you know, trying to bring in money from football and, and yeah, basketball. Just scraping,
0: by, just scraping by over there. <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. Maybe if they find a premier football coach, they can kind of start to build something over there, but it's about making a right hire, and it might be a little late in the football season to do that right now. But, no, it'll be interesting yeah. to see if any of that, if any of that, you know, tries to be a, a chip on the shoulder or bulletin board material for Mississippi State. I don't know if it will. I mean, and knowing Chris Limonis and the way he works, it, it kind of seems like something that he would rather brush off and just not, not talk about. But, you know, maybe the, maybe the players amongst themselves kind of use that as bulletin board material.
0: Yeah, those Alabama coaches in all sports, uh, they, they should recruit to the barbecue over there. <laughs> huge, huge advantage. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence for Michael Katz and Stefan Krasnick. I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.